Well, as you can already see, Pastor Rick and Debbie are not here, and we are all going to miss them this morning, nobody worse than me, but I'm going to do my best to fill in this morning, and uh, it's just an honor to be here today with you friends. We've only been here a few months, but y'all are our family, you're our friends, uh, Rick and Debbie are taking a little holiday and rest, and they called this morning and sent their love to you. Those are, those are two of the hardest working people I've ever been around in my life. Amen. And if anybody needed a rest, they did. Uh, as Jeannie's already alluded, next Sunday, Pastor's sermon will instruct us about our 40 days of sacrifice and fasting, so you don't want to miss that. Uh, I hope all of you have had a wonderful time of celebrating uh, the last few weeks, the holidays. We've all, I know I ate too much, stayed up too much, talked too much, and watched too much Hallmark. So it, it's, but it's been good to be with family and friends. It's a season when people show their love in the spirit of giving is during these holidays. I want to also give honor today to the person who has been with me for 51 years, my wife. Many of you don't see much of Erlene. She's up here on the second row. The last four years, she has went through Guillain-Barre, colon cancer, and a major stroke. And she is still here, still fighting, and I'm just thankful. She is one of those things that's constant and never changing. Amen. Um, today I want to talk about that caring love that lasts all year long, not just at Christmas time. God wants to use all of your gifts and talents to show the world that we are Christians, that this is, and Christ Community Church is a conduit for his love and mercy. And Jesus loves you and loves them right where they are. We don't have to jump any hoops. In the church, we have buzzwords. You know how we, you know, we'll say the love of God, you know. When I was a young minister, I grew up in the hills of Georgia, so I whined real bad. And then my parents moved me to Texas, so they draw so I was drawing and whanging. And I would hear Billy Graham and some of those great speakers speak, and I would always want to be able to pronounce, you know, pronounce those words just like that. But we have those buds words, the love of God and mercy and grace, compassion. These are words that we throw around the church but it's more than words. There has to be action that goes with it. Jesus' compassion definition says literally suffering with another, hence having pity or sympathy for another. Full of compassion, referred to in Psalm 78 and 38, says merciful and forgiving. Compassion, clemency, kindness, and pity. Those are what the word means. But we need to be moved with compassion for
for this lost and dying world today. We need to love the way he loved. There are seven instances in the scripture where it said that Jesus was moved with compassion seven times. And every time that was spoken, it was followed by a miracle. When he was moved with compassion, action followed. In 1985, the Lord called us to a hurting part of the world. And our ministry, we have been raised up in a judgmental, legalistic background. But the Lord called us to the unwanted harvest. And I was asked to be a chaplain at the first HIV AIDS hospital to open in America. It was a volunteer position. They didn't have money for a chaplain. And I began to volunteer there. And next following years, we founded His Touch Ministries, which was in, turned into an international ministry that reached out to the HIV and AIDS populations. And because we were reaching that unwanted harvest, I was introduced many times as Mr. Compassion because we were reaching hurting people. I've done as many as 13 funerals in one week, and almost every week I was doing three funerals to dying young people. So I had the name Mr. Compassion, but can I tell you, I didn't fulfill that name, Mr. Compassion. They were still things that I had hang-ups on, and I could not get through because I was not compassionate. Today I'd like to read from Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 29. And it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Someone was always wanting to trip up the Savior. He said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Now, We all have neighbors. Some of us have some real good neighbors, don't we? Some have some not-so-good neighbors. And don't you raise your hand if you don't have a good neighbor. You know, when we're out of town, uh, they pick up our mail, or when we come home from a trip, they bring us a cherry pie, or those kind of good neighbors that we know that are there. But he said, who is our neighbor? And in verse 30... It says, and Jesus answered with a story. Jesus always was telling stories, and I'm kind of a storyteller, so I'm not like Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick makes those stories come to life and all those things, and that's so exciting. I'm always coming to church trying to figure out what's going to happen next in his sermons. So you'll just have to deal with my stories today. Is that Okay. Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Now, I can imagine, this is Ray 4 and 5, okay? I can just imagine, 
you know, living in southern Illinois, we have our towns. We have to go to Carbondale or Marion or can't even go to Marion now to go to the mall. We have to go somewhere else, don't we? Find good shopping. And I can just imagine this young man going down to Jericho probably to do some shopping. And he had his savings, and he was on his fine donkey, and he was riding down the road, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, here he was. He had been donkey jacked. He had been left in the ditch, not only left in the ditch beating and hurting, they stripped him and left him naked in the ditch, that was filled with sewage. And there he was on the side of the road. And down the road, it says, and by chance down the road came a certain priest that way. That way. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees and the priests, you know, they had their whole entourage that traveled with them. And I can just imagine Ray 4 and 6, that one of those lead guys said, oh my God, there's somebody over there in the ditch. We don't want to bother the priest. So let's tell him. There's, there's, there's a guy naked and beat up in the ditch, probably some old drunk. And so we need to cross the road so you can just ignore him. So they walked across the road with their noses in the air. You know, just... Let's ignore it, and we don't have to deal with it. Verse 31, it says, By chance there came that priest. And then, in 32, it says, And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite was the legalist. You know, he was the one who was the rule keeper. He had the rule book. And the Bible says that he walked over and looked at him. Rick, he went over there and took a good gander at him. Mm, 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 mm. And you know, I, it didn't say he said anything, but I just kind of believe that he probably said, if you hadn't have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, it wouldn't have happened to you anyway. Or maybe he said, you made some wrong choices. That's the way we want to handle some decisions. But in verse 33, it says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, and here's the key, he had compassion on him. Now, this Samaritan was, he was a man who was despised by the Jew laying in the ditch. He was hated because he was a half-breed. And you have to wonder in his mind, did he not think if that was me in the ditch, would that scholarly Jew stop and help me? But you see that what changed him was the fact that he had compassion. Anywhere that we can have compassion, God will give us a capacity to reach out and minister to whatever that need is. And so that Samaritan, he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring in the oil and the wine, and set him on his own beast, 
and then brought him to an inn and took care of him. He took care of all those immediate needs, bandaged him up, stopped the blood, cleaned up the mess he was in, put his robe around him so that he was not naked anymore. He took, met those immediate needs and took him to an inn. And then in verse 35 it says, And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay. Now he did something very unreligious. He said, Put it on my bill. If this is not enough, I'll take care of it when I come back. Because he wanted that man to know that he was taken care of, that he was there and he, because his compassion would take care of whatever the need was. And then the, Jesus said, And now which of these thinketh thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. We have to go and be compassionate to a lost and dying world. Where and who is God going to put in front of you today that you need to minister to? Who's going to be the one that God puts in your path that we need to minister to? It may not be in the ditch. It may be somebody down and out or somebody you can just give an encouraging word. Or somebody that you know during the holidays that's, they're not having family around and you can be there. So that compassion can go on and on all the time because compassion will make a difference. In Mark, the first chapter and the 40th verse is another story about when Jesus was moved with compassion in the 40th verse, it says, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou can make me clean. See, that leper who was an outcast, who had been written off by most people, who had to always say, Unclean, unclean. You and people would spread out and not stay near that person. But this leper was bold because he believed that Jesus could heal him. So he came near Jesus and knelt near him in the middle of that crowd. And in verse 41 it says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be thou clean. Now I want you to take note there that he was moved with compassion and he was asked and told by the leper, you could heal me if you will. The leper knew that it was against the law for Jesus to touch him. And if Jesus by law had touched him, then he would have to say that he was unclean. And he would have to go before the, the church and go make sure that he was not infected. But Jesus was moved with compassions. And he reached out and did something that was unlawful. He touched that leper. He touched him. You know, there's a big difference between being righteous and being right. You know, a lot of us grew up in a lot of righteousness. 
And what does the Bible say about our righteousness? It says it's filthy rags. It doesn't mean anything. Sometimes we have to make decisions. Am I going to make the right decision, what the religious folks thinks I, I think I should do, or am I going to do the right thing and do what's right? That day Jesus did the right thing, and he touched that man, and he was healed. In the 42nd verse, he said, And soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was clean. You know, sometimes all people need are a kind word or a touch. Do you know how much power is in a touch? Just, just to touch someone? So many people that have been hurt and abused, I see it so many times. And now in our overcomers meeting, we, we kind of ask permission, are you a hugger? Is it all right to hug you? Because some people don't want to be touched. But there's some people that it's been so long since they've had a touch. Several years ago, Mother Teresa told the story about in the salt mines of New York City, they were homeless AIDS patients living in literally cardboard boxes, and they call it the salt mines. And some of the nuns went with Mother Teresa, and she went into there, and they were bringing soup and sandwiches. And they were giving those supplies and that nourishment to the people. And this one nun looked into a box, and the man was there kind of huddled, and she said, I have soup and sandwiches for you. And he looked at her and he saw the kindness in her eyes, but he still held back because everyone had not always been kind to him. Everyone had not always been thoughtful. And she said, I said I have soup and sandwiches. And she reached in and touched that dirty hand. And when she did, he just looked at her. And he took her fingers in his, and he just there. And she said, did, did you hear me? I have food. He said, ma'am, is it all right if I just hold your hand? It's been so long since anyone's touched me. There are people around us. There are people that we run into every day that have not been touched by a true loving hand in a long time. They haven't had a kind word or an encouragement. And God's called us to be that kind of compassionate person, that kind of person that will make a difference. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, and the 31st verse, there's another story. And it says, Jesus calls his disciples unto him, and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint on the way. These people have been following him for three days, and they hadn't ate, and Jesus had compassion. He was not only worried about their soul, he was worried about their nourishment and that they were taken care of. And the disciples said unto him, Whence should we 
have so much bread in this wilderness to fill a great multitude? Now, the, the disciples were kind of perplexed. Jesus, do you see a Kroger or a Schnucks? There's no place to go. They didn't have a David Carter who could whip up a catered meal right quick. You know, they didn't have all that. They didn't have the fine restaurants that we have to choose from after church today. They didn't have anything. And he said, well, what do you have in your hands? What's here? And they begin to look. And a little boy had five fishes and seven loaves. And he said, okay, let's take that. Let's take what we got. Let's take what's in your hands. And the disciples said unto him, and Jesus said unto them in the 34th verse, how many loaves have ye? And he said, seven and a few fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and broke them and gave to the disciples and then the disciples to the multitude. Now, a little boy who somehow had a lunch, but that little boy had to be willing to give up his lunch. And he had to be willing to share. And when we can take whatever we have in our hands, what have you got in your hands? What talents are you hiding? What gifts what encouraging words, what things are you hiding in your little basket that you've got covered with a neat little napkin that you could give if you could put it out? Compassion and faith put in the right hands, when we give it to Jesus, made a miracle. And they all were fed, and there were seven baskets left to go home. Leftovers. Does anybody at your house have leftovers in your refrigerator today? Have you got them? My wife does not like leftovers. She, one or two days, and then they go out the door. Now, I can eat on leftovers till they're gone. So I have to be careful. If there's something I really like, I have to hide it. But here they fed 4,000 men plus women and children. Everybody got full. I don't know about you, but on Christmas Day, I was just about, I waddled to my recliner to watch a ball game. You know, they were all full and they were taken care of because in those hands, Jesus had created a miracle because he had compassion. It's amazing what you can do. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have, all you got to do is step out on faith and see what God will give you. He just needs our hands and our feet. You know, when we saw a need in Houston in the early 90s, we had homeless people on the streets with no place to go. Amen. They were homeless, dying of AIDS, and we needed a place. And I said, we're, we're just going to do it. And someone said, well, how much, who's going to pay for it? And I said, I don't know. You see, money does not, ministry can't follow money. Money follows ministry. And we get out there and start doing something, God's going to send the money. And when the Lord anoints pastor and says, we need to do this, I just believe God has always got the storehouse full to meet the need, don't you? 
Amen. But he needs our hand and feet sometimes. He needs our offering sometimes too. But he needs us to be a part of that. There's another story, a story about Lazarus, who was a good friend of Jesus. His sisters, Mary and Martha, they were good buds with Jesus. And he, Jesus got word that he was dying. And they expected him just, you know, they pretty much knew he was God. And he would just come immediately and everything was going to be all right. But everything was not all right. And Lazarus died. And they put him in a tomb. And four days later, Jesus shows up. And it's amazing. He was God. He knew what was going to happen. He knew his ability. But it said that he wept. He grieved because of their sorrow. He had compassion on that situation. He went to the grave, and all he did was stand there. And Brother Leon, he just said, Lazarus, come forth. He had to say Lazarus because if he'd have said just come forth, everybody in the graveyard would have got up. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And everybody just looked around and Jesus was done. His work was done. And he said, okay, boys, roll back the stone. And so they thought, well, that's not too bad. And a couple of guys rolled away the stone. And what happened was Lazarus came out of that tomb, all wrapped up from head to foot in grave clothes. <laughs> and Jesus said, okay, guys, unwrap him. Now, the legalistic Jews who knew the book said, oh, now, wait a minute, on page 45, uh, section 7, it says, if they've been dead over 24 hours, we cannot touch them. <laughs> Let's me off the hook. Uh, it's illegal for me to touch him. His sister was just real frank. She said, but he stinketh. Oh, he's not going to smell good. Uh, some others didn't want to get their hands dirty. But what... Jesus needed. He had done the work. He needed some unwrappers. He needed some people to have compassion and start taking off those stinky, oozy, goozy grave clothes so that he could have got get free. What would have happened to Lazarus if they hadn't bound him? He'd have starved to death or he'd have died. God spoke the words, and then he said, you are to be unwrappers. Guys, how many people come into our midst that need to be unwrapped and the Lord forgives them and sets them on a new path, but he still needs disciples to go to them and unwrap them. And that's part of the thing that we do at Overcomers. We come and we unwrap. Some of us are still being unwrapped ourselves. How long does it take to unwrap somebody? It depends on how tight you've been wound up. Some of us have been wrapped pretty tight with some pretty bad stuff. Some of us are there to unwrap. Some are there being unwrapped, and some are both. Jesus had a reputation for hanging out with the less desirables, with the sinners, because he felt compassion 
and they felt compassion from him. They knew that he loved them. That's why they wanted to be around him. That's why they hung out, not because he was handsome or because he fed them every once in a while. He let them stay for three days without a bite. So it wasn't because he was a good host. It was because of the love and compassion that Jesus felt. Several years ago, as a chaplain at the AIDS hospital, I went on a Saturday morning. I was trying to get out of town to go to a men's conference. And I went to the AIDS unit of Park Plaza Hospital to pray for a former pastor who was dying of AIDS. And so I ran in and ministered to Marshall. And I came out of the room and one of the male nurses met me in the hall, and David was tall and, and nice guy, and he walked up to me, and he said, Pastor, could I just talk to you a minute? And I said, why, sure, David. And he said, he said, you know, Pastor Ray, when you come to this floor, you know, we don't have many Christians who come here, and we sure don't have a lot of pastors. But when you come up to our floor you make our guys and gals laugh, you pray with them, you hug us, and you just make us feel better. And he said, I just think you're a real sweetie. And he reached over and kissed me right on the cheek. And for a moment, that compassion left me. And I thought, oh my God, what is somebody going to say? That guy just kissed me in the hall. And I got in the elevator and I was thinking, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, what, you know, what am I doing? And I got down to my car and I sat down. And how many of you have ever played Bible roulette? God, I need something. Just, just show me something, God. And you, okay, okay. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, I played Bible roulette. I said, Lord, I need a word from you. Right now, I went to that huge book of Jude. There's 25 verses in the book of Jude. And in the 21st verse, it says, Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. And of some have compassion making a difference. David had just told me, when you come on our floor, you make a difference. And then the scripture said, with compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted with flesh. Well, I want you to know, when I got through reading that scripture, I was a wreck. It kind of rocked my world. I thought, what is wrong with you? when you can't show love and mercy. And so the next day I went to a men's conference in South Louisiana and I got out of my car with a group of our men that had gone to the conference with me and this little short Cajun man come walking over to me and I'd never seen the man before in my life and he said, brother, the Lord, he done told me to tell you four or three things, okay? And I said, okay. 
Now, I have to tell you, I wasn't sure about all that word business years ago, and so I had to get a few words before I knew and understood about that. And I said, oh, okay, well, what'd the Lord say? And he said, well, in one of them books of Peter, it says, and in my mind, I'm saying, he don't even know which book. How could this be from the Lord? He don't even know which book he's talking about. He said, in one of those books of Peter, it says to greet your brother with a holy kiss. And he looked at me and he kissed me on that same cheek. And he said, now the Lord has a question for you. I said, okay. He said, the Lord wants to know Will you let them be your brother? And I thought, God, what is wrong with me that I can't look at everybody as a brother and a sister? Do people, why can't I see people the way you see them? God, I want that compassion that when I look at somebody, I don't see where they're at or what pit they're in or how they're dressed or how they're acting or what their addiction is or what their hang-ups. I want to see them the way he sees them. But I also want them to be able to see Jesus in me. I want them when they, they, people see me say, there's something about you. I just feel comfortable with you. I want, I want, I want to look like him. Several years ago, I was, our ministry took, I was traveling all over the country, and I was in the East Coast, and I was on my way to Colorado. I had been invited to come to Marion, Illinois, to speak on TCT, I think that's the name of the station, and my wife is from Southern Illinois. It happened to be the weekend that they had their family reunion. And I hadn't been in years. And Earlene, there were nine or ten kids, and they all had four or five kids. And it was a huge family, and I hadn't seen them in a long time. And Earlene was going to meet me, but something came up, and I got to the reunion, and no Earlene. She was still in Texas. And I thought, I, I, I don't remember who half these people are. And so I was standing there, and this little boy walks up to me and he says, I saw you on TV this week. And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, and you're my Uncle Ray. And I said, well, yeah, I guess I am. You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who you are. But he said, and then he said one of the most frightening things to me. He said, do you know my name? If I ever wanted the spirit of discernment, I wanted it then. Lord, please give me his name. And I looked into his face. And when I looked into his face, I saw a familiar face. And I took a guess. And I said, well, I know who you are. You're Andy's boy. And he said, yes, sir, I am. And it that was all he needed, and he went skipping off, and Uncle Ray knew who I was. And I breathed a sigh of relief and started walking off, and the Lord said to me, Ray, 
Is that what people say about you? Do they see me in you? There again, my world was rocked, and I had to go find a place to pray because I wanted people to see him in me. I wanted to be that compassionate heart that reached out to people. I left that reunion, drove to Denver, Colorado, and then I was going to somewhere else up north. I forget where. My son, uh, my youngest son, Jeffrey, who sometimes got to travel with me, but not always, and uh, he loved to get postcards. So almost every day I'd try to send him a postcard from somewhere I was at. And when I was going to Colorado, he said, Dad, I don't have a postcard from Wyoming. Would you get me a card one day? And so I thought, I'm in Denver. I got an extra few hours. I'm going to cut through the corner of Wyoming. I'm going to send some postcards and done deal. And if you know me, you know that I do not like snow. In 78, we moved from up here because we had a blizzard, and I said I would never shovel snow again. I don't drive good in it. I end up in ditches and service station pumps and everything else because I'm not good at it. And as I was leaving Wyoming, it started snowing to beat the band. And I thought, oh, dear God. And I was hurrying. I got off the freeway to get gas. And I had a Suburban. And my wife is so neat and organized. Uh, I'm a pack rat. When I travel, I kind of, I start out neat. But after I've been out on the road two or three weeks, it kind of gets, you know. And so my Suburban was piled up. When you stop, it takes about 10 minutes for things to quit falling. And uh, so I started to get on the freeway, and I saw this couple hitchhiking. And it was snowing, and I thought, oh, man, i got to get out of this snow before it gets bad. And, and the Lord said, oh, there's people there. And I thought, Lord, there's two of them. And, you know, I, I can't defend myself if they're bad people. And, 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 and Lord, look, look at this suburban. Where will they sit? And so I just drove right on past them. And I got up on the freeway and the Lord said, Ray, are you looking like me? Oh, God, don't do that to me. And but I couldn't get away from it. So I pulled over at the next exit. There was a closed service station. I got back there, rearranged my Suburban, got a couple of seats in the car, turned around, made a U-turn, went down the freeway, and the whole time I was praying, Lord, let somebody else have picked them up. You know, <laughs> let them pick them up. And I turned and... They were still there, and I stopped, and I thought maybe they didn't notice. And the guy gets in, and he's from New Jersey, and he says, Hey, man, you came back. We saw you a while ago. And I said, Yeah, I, 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 I came back. And I found out they began to tell me their story. Him and his girlfriend, she was a full-blooded Indian, and they were normally hobos, but she was sick. And so they decided to try to hitch a ride to get somewhere. And I began to listen to their story. 
and found out that the girl was named after her grandmother's pastor's wife. And they began to talk, and all of a sudden, compassion just filled my heart for those kids. And I said, she was really sick, probably bordering on pneumonia. And I said, you know, let's get you some medicine. We stopped, got medicine. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just telling you how the Lord dealt with me to do that. I fed them, and I, I knew they didn't have much money, and it was just about two or three miles before the road split, and I was going north, and they were going south. And so I got some cash and gave it to them. And we were driving, and I said, you know, it's been a pleasure knowing you guys, and I'm going to be praying for you. And I looked up in the rearview mirror, and the little, little girl, tears were rolling down her cheeks. And I said, are you, are you okay? Are you feeling worse, hon? And she said, what do you want from us? I said, what do you mean? She said, we're used to people, when we, they're nice to us, they want something in return. So what do you want? I said, baby, my Savior, my daddy, he just loves you so very much that he just wants for you to be fed and happy. He just wants to be there for you. And I said, I just want to be like my daddy. And she said, I want to be like him too. And the guy in the front seat said, yeah, me too. Now I thought, I'm going down the freeway. Would you believe there's a rest area? I pull into the rest area, and do you know in a cramped up suburban, a front seat can become a pulpit? I got on my knees, I took them by the hand, and I led them to the Lord. Off they went and off I went. Now, I don't know where they are today. You think about it. What happened to the man in the ditch in our first story? Where is he today? There was no book about written about him. Would he become a great evangelist or what happened? He may have died. I don't know. The moral of the story is if there are neighbor. If they're in need, they're our neighbor, and we need to minister them. We don't have to know the rest of the story. We just have to be moved with compassion to reach people. Now, who, as we've talked this morning, who in your mind have you thought about that maybe needs a touch, a kind word, a bowl of soup, a loving hand? Who in this room today, have you thought of someone? You know, we can make a difference. We can make a difference in everything we do. I'm so thankful for those that are participating in our overcomers because I believe we're going to make a difference. Next Saturday, we're doing our first overcomers class at the local prison. And we'll be doing that every week for 12 inmates. With compassion, we're going to make a difference to those people. Can we stand this morning? Who here this morning has, is the Lord speaking to? 
maybe you just need a touch of the Lord. Maybe you already know somebody that you need to call as soon as you walk out of this building. Maybe we need to pray, Lord, show somebody today. Show us somebody who needs us that we can reach out and minister to. And we're just kind of as Pastor Rick does, we're just going to give you the opportunity. If you have somebody you want to take by the hand and bring to this altar this morning, and we're just going to take a moment and ask the Lord to prepare our hearts. God, make me an instrument. Lord, give me the compassion I need to make a difference today and tomorrow. You know, grace is only given to us as we need it. Today, we may need a six-ounce cup of compassion. Tomorrow, we may need a washtub full. There's days we need a swimming pool full of grace and compassion. But the Lord will give it to us as we need it. You say, I don't have the means to do it. The Lord will supply if you'll become a conduit for His love. Amen. As they sing this morning, as they lead us into worship, if you'd like to come and just stand at this altar and ask the Lord just to touch us today with more compassion, with more love.
just ask today that you open your heart and open your eyes to those around us that we can see someone that we can bring to his feet amen that we can be ministry to out to those around you. Hug someone this morning.